Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. I'm Jamison Coughlin, editor of LNG Insight, which provides subscribers with North American LNG news and pricing, plus key European and Asian fundamentals. Today, I'm joined by Oystein Kalaklov, CEO of Flex LNG. Welcome, Oystein. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jamison, for having me on board. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to bring you on today to discuss the security situation in the Red Sea. As most of us know, in response to the war in Israel, Houthi militants have been attacking commercial vessels in the waterway. And this has, of course, created hurdles for shipping in the region. I think, as many people know, Flex owns a fleet of LNG carriers, so I'm sure that you've been paying very close attention to all this. So I guess maybe before we kind of step back and paint a broader picture, Oystein, can you just give us an idea of how important the Red Sea is to global trade flows? Yeah, thank, thank you. Just in general, so I run uh, two different uh, listed shipping companies. One is FlexLNG listed in, in New York and Oslo, and then I also run RVLGC or LPG company, Avanced Gas listed there in Oslo. So so I, I do see both segments, and, and it's a bit different for the various segments. Of course, Suez Canal was built a long time ago, and it's a, a very key uh, point between trade, especially Asia to Europe. And the importance of the Suez Canal really depends on, on the segment you are in. Of course, those who have benefited the most for the closure of this Red Sea and the Suez, for the most part, container ships, where you have a, a lot of export from Asia to Northwest Europe, where these ships have to deviate all the way through Cape of Good Hope. The same also, to some extent, applies for car carriers, where China suddenly become the biggest car exporter in the world. For LNG... Suez Canal is not that important. In general, what is being produced of LNG in Asia is being consumed in Asia. And the swing factor in terms of flows is typically US cargoes, which are flexible, whether they are going to Europe or whether they are going to Asia. Uh, prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a lot of the US cargoes went to Asia, but then typically they went through Panama. And of course, we can come back to Panama, but there's been a lot of congestion issue in that canal as well. So, so it, it's not lately, uh, the, you know, the last couple of years after Europe have to kind of source a lot of US LNG, it's become less important. However, Qatar, which is one of the big exporters, number two or three typically, US is the biggest and Australia and Qatar is, is pretty much even. They still sell a lot of LNG to Europe. So it has implication for that volume, which has to sail all the way through Cape of Good Hope, rather than going through the shortcut being the Red Sea. In terms of, of LPG or VLGC, there are more flows from Asia now from, from US to, 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 to Asia, and US is much bigger proportionally sized, so it has more effect on, on, on the VLGC market than LNG market. So, so you have to drill down to every single segment to look at the implication for those various sub-segments of shipping. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you kind of anticipated my next question. So, I mean, you mentioned that propane has been impacted a bit more, but that is an important distinction. It's like more LNG that's getting produced, for example, in North America is staying in the Atlantic Basin, and more LNG produced in the Pacific Basin is, is staying in the Pacific Basin. But as you said, you know, some, some sectors have been impacted differently by these attacks, and LNG just really hasn't been so far. You know, the, the LNG carriers have seemed to kind of comfortably adapt to the situation. And, and as you noted, they've they've largely been avoiding the Red Sea by, by taking the, the, the Cape of Good Hope around Africa. But on the LNG side, freight rates aren't up. Vessel availability really isn't low, despite the extra time it takes to avoid the Red Sea and get around Africa. Can you maybe dig a little bit deeper? I mean, why is that? Why do things seem so comfortable right now in the LNG shipping market with this going on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's of course driven by the product market. So of course the product market for LNG went haywired after the, the invasion of Ukraine and the closure of the or curtailment of the Russian pipeline flows to, to Europe. We had a situation where actually from the bottom of COVID, at the bottom of COVID, let's call it March, April 2020, the European gas prices, because of all the demand destruction caused by COVID, it went as low as $1 per million BTU, which equates to $6 for barrel of oil equivalent. When then Russia started curtailing flows to, to Europe, and this happened prior to the invasion of Ukraine, and then when this happened and, and the Baltic pipelines exploded, prices went up to $100 per million BTU August 2022. So you had a a hundred times increase in product prices. And of course, this made the cargo economics fantastic. And when you have a high cargo economics, you can also pay a lot for freight. And and and, and with this cargo economics, you can also afford to have inefficiencies. And, and when Europe suddenly increased their import of LNG from about 85 million tons to 125 million tons. It also created a lot of bottlenecks on the import side in, in Europe. So now Europe has been kind of lucky two winters in a row in terms of the, the, the weather. And also these high prices have subverted demand. So demand for natural gas in Europe has been declining <laughs> quite a lot uh, the last two years. So so now prices have come down to more comfortable levels. So going from a peak of 100 per million BTU to around $8 today, which is a more normal price and where LNG is uh, quite affordable and much cheaper than oil and especially diesel. So these kind of reduction in the prices have thus also affected the supply chain. So there's less money to be make on, on shifting cargos, and that is affecting also the willingness to pay for freight. Additionally, when suddenly you have a lot of ships going from US to Europe rather than going to Asia, which has been basically priced out of, of the market, that is driving down sailing distances so rather than going US Gulf Coast via Panama to China, 10,000 nautical miles, ships are sailing 5,000 nautical miles, so you're reducing the, the sailing distance. Europe has also been able to ramp up capacity of import capacity through the use of floating storage and regasification units, which has removed a lot of the bottleneck on the import side, so ships don't have to wait in order to, to discharge their cargo. So, so efficiency of the fleet has increased, uh, sailing distances have been muted, cargo economics have been reduced a lot. So these are putting pressure on the 
spot freight rates, in addition to the fact that, you know, there are quite a lot of ships for delivery this year, which gives uh, a better supply situation <laughs> for charters. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that that gives a pretty comprehensive view of what's going on in the market right now. But so with that said, I kind of wonder how this situation has impacted your business on the LNG side of things. I mean, Flex's vessels are obviously under charter. But I mean, have you have you been forced to respond to this bottleneck in the Red Sea in, in any way? Yeah, so of course, we, we had some ships going through uh, Suez Canal, you know, prior to, to uh, New Year. We were monitoring the situation. We had a couple of transits where we were kind of paying very close attention when you started to having problems. But then when the bombing started by US, UK and all allied nations, it kind of fired up the situation and became very volatile. And, and the, the risk associated with uh, going through this uh, area was deemed too high. So since then, uh, we've basically seen that the trade through Red Sea and Suez disappearing. And today there are not a single LNG carrier taking that route because of the, of the risk associated with it. On the VLGC side, however, we do see still some VLGCs going into that area, uh, mostly due to the fact that uh, Saudi Arabia have a LPG export facility in the Red Sea, uh, north in Red Sea, the Yambu. So somebody has to pick up those cargoes. And then you have to you know, consider whether to go Suez via Mediterranean to Saudi and then go back again to Mediterranean or whether uh, to go past Yemen. Yeah, okay, okay. So when you stop, you know, you look ahead, there's the prospect, well, there's been talk of the prospect of a ceasefire in Israel that has kind of, you know, eased the, the market sentiment over these conflicts across the Middle East in, in recent days, at least on the LNG side. And, you know, if you, if you got a ceasefire, that would probably improve the outlook in, in the Red Sea, given that the Houthis have said, you know, they're conducting these attacks in response to the Israeli war. But, you know, what if these attacks continue longer term, though? I mean, what, what would that mean for the LNG market, especially as you've got drought conditions that have restricted Panama Canal traffic? I mean, if, if you get into this situation where things tighten a bit, and you have to continue reshuffling cargoes, you know, maybe more U.S. cargoes have to go to Asia. I mean, I would see that having a deeper impact. Do you? Yeah, of course. Shipping kind of thrives on inefficiencies. So, so sometimes people think that, you know, bad situation is also bad for shipping, but that's very often not the case. Because if you have congestions areas, if you have inefficiencies, if you have rerouting of ships, on longer voyages, that absorbs a lot of shipping capacity. So while the situation in Panama has improved, we are still in the dry season. And the water levels in the Gatun Lake, which is the main freshwater source for Panama, is at very low levels, and there are a limitation to the number of transit. So we will have issues with the Panama until the summer, when we will see how the the rain season develops and whether it's sufficient to, to, really, to fill up the, the water storage levels in Panama. When it comes to Red Sea, uh, the, the situation is still too volatile and it's too early to tell how long this situation will endure. I, I, I agree with you the fact that you probably have to solve Gaza and Israel conflict before you are able to solve the Houthi uh, attacks in, in, in that area. And as long as that is uh, occurring, it means that ships will be having to sail 
much longer sailing distances, and and this will absorb shipping capacity, and and everything equals will make the shipping market tighter, which you know is positive for freight rates. Right, right. So, so when you when you look at the macro, I mean, you you talked earlier about weak demand in Europe and, and high storage inventories in Asia, kind of getting priced out of the market. But I mean, do you see things tightening up at all in the LNG market in the near or midterm and sort of setting the stage for for higher freight rates? I mean, is that a viable possibility anytime soon? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. Of course, what we are seeing now is is pretty attractive prices of LNG. So uh, when we are at eight dollars, call it um, per million BTU in in Europe, and maybe slightly above nine dollars in in Asia, certainly you have more demand for LNG, and we do see this especially in India, Thailand, Bangladesh, uh, high sensitive markets, but also in China. China is also a fairly price sensitive market. And, and we have also first finally seen some green shoots in, in Europe where uh, natural gas consumption has gone up uh, lately. So the medicine for uh, you know tight market is high prices and the high prices have taken down demand and now that prices are low again. People are starting to to consume more LNG, and and we also see that you know a large part of the order book of of, of ships are dual fuel today. These are typically large container ships and such, where they have the option of bunkering LNG rather than marine diesel. And and right now, of course, it's a it's, it's a huge you know advantage of bunkering LNG rather than diesel because diesel prices are high. LNG prices are low, and that is also uh, positive for for demand of LNG. Yeah, yeah, we've certainly seen some Asian buyers come back into the market with prices falling the way that they have. So, okay, yeah, fair enough on the Red Sea stuff. I want to, I I just want to switch gears here a little bit and kind of go off topic for my last question, Oystein. It's been a a hot topic, you know, in the U.S. and, and really, I think across the world. But I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the Biden administration's decision to temporarily pause LNG export authorizations. I mean, what what's your impression of this decision? There's been there's been an outpouring of reactions on it. So how do you think this is going to impact the market, uh, if at all? Yeah, now we, we presented our Q4 numbers uh, yesterday, 7th Feb, on, for Flex LNG. And we spent some time on this because it came as a, as a bit of a surprise. Maybe it shouldn't. It's election season in the U.S. And as I said in my presentation yesterday, Tip O'Neill former uh, congressman, he used to say that all politics is local. And of course, Biden uh, recently approved this uh, drilling in Alaska, which uh, created some uh, resistance from the the green uh, part of, of the Democratic Party. So, of course, he needs to shore up his base. A easy way of doing this is to put in a moratorium on all the projects that are pending a Department of Energy export license. And of course, you cannot go ahead and greenlight a project if you don't have these licenses. So there are a couple of projects in the U.S. which are was expected maybe to do FID or greenlighting of the project this year, especially CP2, Calcius Pass 2 from Venture Global, Sabine Pass expansion from Chenier, the Delphin LNG, Port Arthur expansion, to name a couple of these. Lake Charles, who recently were denied the extension of this export license and have to file again, that is also pending. So this project, they have already secured a lot of offtake agreement and some of them are getting 
close to the level where you have sufficient uh, coverage in order to, 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 to greenlight the project. All of these projects are now in limbo, and uh, we're talking about pretty big volumes. So U.S. have gone from basically zero to become the biggest LNG exporter in the world. There is a lot of projects being ramped up now over the next couple of years in the U.S., which will almost double the capacity. But, you know, as FT also write today, there is about 100 million tons of projects seeking this FID, and all of them are in limbo now. And this will, uh, as far as I understand, last until the election. Uh, Biden will win no votes if he reverses on this prior to the election. So this means that those projects will be postponed, which is not good for European buyers. So, you know, European buyers have been able to buy US LNG, but they are not close to kind of replace the volumes that were lost from Russia. Going further down, of course, eventually, you know, you need to get rid of coal. And if you need, want to get rid of coal, then you need a lot of more LNG because it's not feasible to replace all that baseload power with uh, renewables, which is intermittent. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I think that there's definitely consensus on this, that this is a done deal until at least November. So definitely something to pay attention to post-2024. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I would. I would expect it to. To they have to do this uh, study and implication of this in terms of CO two emission and domestic prices in the US. But I, I do think that uh, regardless of which administration is winning the election, they will open up for new export licenses and and these projects will be done. But they will be done at a later time than would have happened if this moratorium was not in place. Right, right. I mean, it would be tough just to put, you know, an indefinite pause on this after the election, for sure, regardless of the the administration. It's, it's a lot of projects. It's a lot of jobs. It's good for the economy. It's good for the allies. It's actually good for the climate as well. So it, yep. it doesn't really feel, fit into the climate ambition of the administration either. So. Right, right. And these are certainly all things that are going to get a lot of consideration here in the coming months. Yeah, yeah. some of the arguments is, of course, the, the methane emissions, but the methane emissions are quite easy to deal with. About half of uh, the methane emissions today are profitable to remove, and uh, most of them are technically possible to, to remove. So all the concerns about methane emissions, those are manageable. The uh, problem has been that methane emissions has been free, and, and Biden administration have signaled that they want to start pricing methane emissions. And that would be a, a good step in order to uh, reduce or eliminate the, the methane emissions. Because if, if there are incentives to reduce methane emissions, certainly it's feasible to do it. Right. Some sort of incentive or even some sort of standard to track your emissions along the value chain, I think, would would maybe be a good thing. Because I think that's where some of the concerns are with, with LNG. Yeah, but I'm sitting here in, in, in Norway, and of course the biggest oil producer here is Equinor, which had a capital markets day yesterday in London. They have almost no methane emission in their value chain at all because they have been forced and incentivized to reduce them to close to zero. Right, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Well, hey, I think that that does it for today. We, we covered some good ground here. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Oystein. And thanks again to all of you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. 
If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.